You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. Well, I'm glad that you've joined us again today for Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. This is a podcast with the Preston Crest Church of Christ here in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk, the host of this podcast and the Young Adults Minister at Preston Crest. It is summertime, and because it is summertime, I decided to do a brief series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. The Bible doesn't say that this sermon took place during the summer. I've just always assumed that it was summertime. I have no reason to think that one way or the other, but just the scene depicts a summertime setting. Jesus was sitting on those rolling green hills that rolled down to the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd has gathered, and it just seems like a gathering for a nice summer evening. And so we are turning our attention this summer to these truths from Jesus, where Jesus helps the Jewish people understand in a better way what God had originally intended for them and their lives from the old law of Moses. Remember, Jesus himself said, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And throughout the years, the Jewish leaders, they had misinterpreted, or really they had just diluted the meaning of the law by their own traditions and their own desired results and interpretations of what God had said through his great leader Moses. And so several times throughout the sermon, Jesus says, you've heard it said this way, but I tell you. And that is the title of this series, But I Tell You. And we are looking at the many truths from Jesus that he clarified that day during the Sermon on the Mount. In episode 41, we looked at Jesus' truths about murder and worship. And today in episode 42, we're going to look at Jesus' truth about adultery. Adultery, wow, what a heavy topic. What a weighty topic. What a controversial topic. You might be listening to this today and saying, Adultery? Why are we talking about adultery? I don't struggle with adultery. I've been married to my spouse for 50 years, and and we've never been unfaithful. And if that's the case, if you're someone like that listening to this today, then praise God. You're the example. But saying that adultery would never or will never affect you or your family is a very dangerous 
statement. Because just like with murder and hate that we looked at last week, Jesus doesn't just condemn the action. And Jesus condemns the thought. Jesus makes it pretty clear that to commit adultery, you don't just have to get in bed with someone who's not your spouse. Rather, you have to have thoughts or interactions with someone who isn't your spouse for the adultery to take place. Adultery is hard. It's controversial. It's hurtful. But I pray that God uses these thoughts, both from His Word and from this podcast, for His glory. So when Jesus tells us the truth about adultery, He says in verses 27 and 28 of Matthew chapter 5, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This was common knowledge in Jewish tradition. The seventh commandment of the Ten Commandments clearly says, You shall not commit adultery. In the Beatitudes, Jesus provides the antithesis to adultery when he says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Where they will see God. But beyond the legal code, Jesus has so much more that he wants the people to hear when he talks about this word, lust, a word full of meaning. Contrary to what people often say or think, lust isn't always a bad thing. In fact, there's a good lust discussed in Scripture. When Paul is writing to the young preacher Timothy about requirements for men to become elders in the Lord's kingdom, Paul says that if a man desires the office, then he desires a noble task. Paul uses that word for lust to describe the desire. At its basic level, lust means to desire something very strongly. So sometimes lust can be good if what we are desiring is the right thing. But it's pretty obvious that's not the type of lust Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus talks about lust, Jesus says that the sin occurs before the sex. Listen to that again. Jesus makes it very clear that the sin occurs before the sex. Now, just because a man finds a woman attractive, or just because a woman finds a man attractive, that doesn't mean that the lust has taken place. That's nothing more than a physiological response. (laughs) If a woman asks her husband, did you think that other woman was pretty? And he says, no. Well, he may or may not be telling the truth. It's okay if he thinks that she's attractive. Because attraction and lust are two different things. God created men to find women attractive. And God created women to find men attractive. That's part of being a human being. But lust... Well, lust is desiring something so strongly that you're going to find a way to get it even when it is not yours to have. 
I want to say that again. Lust is desiring something so strongly that you are determined to find a way to get it even when it's not yours to have. That's why a man can't really lust after his wife because his wife belongs to him. He can be passionately in love with his wife, but he doesn't lust after her. Because when we lust, we so often lust over the things that don't belong to us. That's why going back to the computer to see that woman we don't know who makes us believe that she really does want us, that, that's, that's lust. That's why fantasizing about another man's wife is lust. That's why finding ways to be on the elevator at the same time with that woman in the office is lust. Or sending a text message to that man who's not your husband or that woman who's not your wife in the middle of the night when no one is watching that's that's lust. And Jesus says, when you live that way, even if you think it's in secret, well, God knows what's going on. And God knows that it's adultery. Which is exactly why Jesus speaks about divorce in the next few verses. The Jews constantly argued over reasons for divorce, just like we do today. The Shammai group of Jewish scholars said that one could divorce only for adultery or fornication. The Shammai group was certainly the more conservative school of thought in Jewish culture. The Hillel scholars, the, the more liberal thinkers, the more liberal Jewish theologians said that one could get a divorce for multiple reasons. Even a woman putting too much salt on her husband's food was one of those reasons. Your food's too salty? Pretty simple. Just write her a certificate of divorce, and that obligation is over. But what was Jesus doing when Jesus mentioned divorce here in Matthew 5? Well, he was trying to let the people know, you're focusing so much on the legal ins and outs of the law that you're missing the entire picture. Above all, the thing which ruins marriage the most is adultery. And adultery can take place even if you don't crawl in bed with someone who is not your spouse. And once it does, it's like the toothpaste coming out of the tube. It's so hard to make things right again. It's so hard to get things back the way that they were. Because adultery ruins marriage more than anything else. And so after Jesus gives the truth about adultery, he, he gives the truth about handling it. He says in verses 29 through 30, If your right eye causes you to sin, well, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, you know what people always ask about this. Is this literal? Should we really gouge out our eyes and cut off our hands? I sat in a Bible class one Sunday morning at a small country church in Arkansas, and the teacher was convinced that this was a literal command of Jesus. 
And I just kept thinking to myself, well, why aren't your hands chopped off? Because this is probably something that almost every man struggles with at least one point in his life. I mean, what would it be like in the church if we actually did this? What if you walked up to shake someone's hand in the foyer on Sunday morning, you reached out, and they only had one hand to shake, and you thought to yourself, oh, well, you must struggle with lust, don't you? Now, all joking aside, I'm glad this isn't a literal command because it makes it even more powerful. What Jesus is trying to tell us is there is no sacrifice too big to remain faithful to God. That's his point. There will never be a sacrifice that you have to make in your life that is too big for you to remain faithful to God. Paul describes what this looks like very well in Colossians 3.15 when Paul said, Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, whether it be sexual immorality, impurity, lust, pride, whatever it is. Paul says, put it to death. You put it to death by getting rid of it. As Jesus described, by cutting it off. And if Jesus was making this speech today in our culture, I think Jesus might say something like this. You may not amputate your hand, but you need to get rid of your computer if you can't stop looking at websites. You may not lose your eyes or gouge them out, but you probably should gouge out that smartphone or lose that TV or lose whatever it is that makes you fantasize about something that doesn't belong to you. And on a side note, if you're listening to this today and you're single, searching for a spouse, I can't emphasize enough the importance of saving yourself for your spouse, for that special person. Because one day it will mean so much more to them and so much more to you than you'll ever know. One day you will officially belong to each other and only to each other. And that is exactly how God intended it to be. And I think that one story in the Bible that illustrates what Jesus had in mind better than any other story is the story of David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'll set the scene for you, though you probably know the scene very well. The scripture says that it's springtime and all the kings have gone off to war except David, which was mistake number one. Instead of being off fighting with his men, as he should have been, well, he's at home in the palace with too much time on his hands and too much time for other women. And one day, he's walking on the rooftop, and he sees this beautiful woman named Bathsheba, who is bathing down below. And before he knows it, he's in bed with Bathsheba. He finds out several weeks later she's pregnant. He tries to cover it up. He arranges the death of Uriah, the Hittite. And then he has a child, whom he loses because of his sin. Now, you know the whole story, but here's the question I have for you today. When was the lust committed in that story? 
When was the lust actually committed? Well, it wasn't on the rooftop, even though David shouldn't have been there. David should have been off fighting the wars. But he wasn't. But just because he was bored and not where he should have been, that's not when the lust was committed. And it wasn't Bathsheba's fault. I've heard some preachers try to paint Bathsheba as a promiscuous woman trying to get David's attention. She didn't know David was up there. She was simply minding her own business. The lust didn't take place when David saw her bathing. David could have said, well, that's a beautiful woman, and then walked right back into the palace, forgotten about it, and still have been innocent. The lust was committed when we read in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 4, Then David sent messengers to get her. David acted on it. David went beyond his physiological attraction and physiological response. David arranged for a meeting. David made possible to have something that wasn't his. And precisely in that moment, the lust took place. And we do the same thing when we fantasize in our minds or see with our eyes someone who doesn't belong to us in that way. We may not have the power to send servants to bring them to our bedroom, but we've acted on it, and we have still committed adultery, according to Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. But there is some good news. Even with adultery, forgiveness can be found. I'm sure you remember the story in John chapter 8 of Jesus dealing so kindly and so strategically with this woman who had been caught in adultery. She was about to lose her life by a group of angry, hypocritical religious leaders. But Jesus intervened, Jesus stooped below, Jesus rode in the sand, and Jesus looked at her and said, You don't have to die. Not today. In this moment, I'm abolishing the death penalty, I'm refusing to throw the stone. But you must leave your life of sin. And I think when we realize the danger and the detriment of adultery, we too yearn for that wonderful grace and the forgiveness of God. You see, this entire episode, I think, is summed up by one main principle. We can't defeat sin until we define our heart. We can't defeat sin until we define our heart. Because every sin begins in the same place, and every sin produces the same result. That's why after his tragic sin with Bathsheba, after David had wept and washed his face, David grabbed the pen and David wrote in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. 
do not cast me from your presence, but restore unto me the joy of my salvation. We all need to repeat that prayer, regardless of how long we've been married or how spiritual we think we might be. God created me a clean heart and restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It is possible. It is found in the blood of Jesus. Even in adultery, you can be washed clean. But you must find the blood of Jesus to receive it. I hope you have a great rest of the day. I hope you continue to journey with us this summer as we listen to these truths from Jesus. And I hope you'll join us next time as we turn our ear to listen to the voice of the Savior. Keep your eyes on heaven. God bless. And we will talk to you next time.